Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Jesus, thou art the sinner's friend, the sunshine to thee. Now in the fullness of thy love, O Lord, remember me. Remember thy word of grace, remember of Grace, I'm going to share with you the message that I delivered last weekend at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church entitled, This Ministry. We are presently undertaking a series through the book of 2 Corinthians, and this message is derived from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. In this sermon, we will first speak to the work of the gospel ministry, before ending with some thoughts about our reception, the reception that we have as we share the Word of God with those around us, something that very much reflects the condition of the heart of the person that is hearing the Word of God. Here is today's message, this ministry. Therefore, seeing we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost." in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In all honesty, every single passage that we read could be its own sermon. Therefore, seeing we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. The ministry that Paul refers to here is the gospel ministry. Now, Paul's specific ministry, what was his title? What was the Apostle Paul? Well, he was an apostle. Now, I'm an elder. I'm an elder who also happens to be a pastor. And I believe that pastor is likely what the New Testament term bishop has in mind. All bishops are to be elders. All pastors are to be elders, but not all elders are necessarily pastors or bishops. The word elder means one of authority, but the word bishop means an overseer or a superintendent, and it has reference more to the pastoral figures, I believe, who look over a flock and tend to a flock week in and week out, who's preaching the Word of God and leading them through the Word of God. You have other ministerial roles in the New Testament. We read of evangelists, such as Philip the Evangelist, Many people consider Luke, Luke the evangelist. Timothy at times is considered an evangelist because he goes and he preaches and he constitutes churches and he labors there a while, then he goes to another place and he constitutes churches. And then you have an interesting role in the book of Ephesians as Paul gives the types of elder that we have in the word because apostles are considered elders too. John considered himself an elder. Peter considered himself an elder. You have apostles prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers, prophets were people who in this early church era through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit could actually tell of things in advance. So they prophesied much like the Old Testament prophets. You have one that comes to the church, I believe in Antioch, and says there's going to be a great dearth throughout all the land. And so they send finances to the church in Jerusalem. How do they know to do that? Because a man prophesied of things that would come to pass before they came to pass. You have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, slash teachers. You have elders and bishops. But hear me very clearly. You have one gospel ministry. One gospel ministry. You have different roles. You have different authorities. You have different gifts. And not even every two men who are ordained to preach the Word of God have the same preaching gift. But listen to me, it is one gospel ministry. It is the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, singular ministry, now we consider them our own personal ministries, but it is this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. As ministers, we have received mercy. And it's interesting reading what commentators write about this particular word, mercy, and our reception of it. Well, is Paul talking about his terrible past? You know, the Apostle Paul, the writer here of this epistle, at one point in his life was not only a hater of Christ, he was a very ravenous hater of Christ, He was a persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, rounding up Christians, compelling them to blaspheme, torturing them, and putting them to death. He was literally a genocidal maniac with political power to apprehend, arrest, and execute Christians. 
we learn about him as, a, as he's a young man consenting unto the death of Stephen as Stephen is stoned to death. They lay their clothing at the feet of a young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Some have said, well, Paul has received mercy, and certainly he has, because he was a persecutor of the church. Others would say, well, this has reference to the mercy that Paul needed each and every day to go out and preach the gospel. Some would say, this has reference to the mercy a man needs to endure the trials. Because certainly if you are enduring trials by the grace of God, God is being merciful to you, delivering you from ultimately what could be in the trial, which would be your death. That's what Satan wants in every trial. He wants your ultimate end And through God's restraining power and hedging you about, it doesn't get to the level or the degree of suffering that it could could get to. And as I read these commentaries, I'm thinking, yes. And I read another one, and he has a different opinion. And I say, yes. And then I get to another one, and I read a different opinion. And I say, yes. Is it the mercy that God gave Paul when he struck him down on the road to Damascus? Yes. Is it the mercy that God gave Paul to stand up and preach? Yes. Is it the mercy that God gave Paul to deliver him from the storm where he floats around in driftwood from a shipwreck and eventually ends up on shore? Yes. Is it the mercy that God gave him when he was stoned and left for dead and yet he stood up at the end of that and walked away and had his wounds treated by the disciples? Yes. So it's not that it was that mercy but not this mercy or daily mercy but not his previous mercy. Gospel ministers, the fuel that we need to continue is God's mercy. And so if you are asked the question, there are some questions that people attempt to present a false dichotomy, and that's a logical fallacy where it has to be either or when it's really both. If someone asks, what mercy does Paul have in mind? Is he talking about the mercy when he was struck down on the road to Damascus or the mercy that he had to be delivered from a a foe just a month prior or the mercy that he has to stand up and give the oration? The answer to that question is one word, the word yes. Yes. I love to answer the false dichotomy with yes because they don't want that. They won't. No, you you have to do either or. Well, sometimes it's not plain cut and dry either or. Sometimes it's well nuanced and maybe you have to take parts of either idea or maybe you have to give a middle-of-the-road answer with clarifications against the extremes. In this case, it's, yes, all of the above. Don't you love the all of the above questions when you were in school? Because if you have no all of the above answers and it's all A, B, C, and D, and then you finally get to one and D is all of the above, you're always like, that's got to be it. Now, I didn't study for this test, but that's got to be it. I know two of them are, so it's got to be all of the above. So little Ben was always all of the above, and then sometimes, no, it's not all of the above. And I'm like, rats, you got me. You got me. All of the above. What type of minister is it? It's all of the above. All of the above. As ministers, we have received mercy. Mercy in light of our past mistakes, because we all have past mistakes. We are just as sinful in the sight of God as anybody else. And yet we have the same fleshly nature to mortify each and everybody else after we come to know Christ 
And yet we have to stand before you as people who have the same struggles every single week and share this pure, glorious word of the gospel of Christ. Though we're just as sinful as anybody else, so what do we need? We need mercy. We need mercy. Mercy for our past, mercy for our present, and no doubt, mercy for our future. What is it that God gives that enables us to endure? As we have received what? We faint not. Mercy. Ministers need mercy to continue. We need mercy to continue. Verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Quickly, we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. What Paul is saying here is we're not trying to sugarcoat or manipulate you by the way that we say what we say to get the response that we want to get when we preach. So if I sugarcoat it, or I change it, or I explain it away, or I hide parts of it and only focus on other parts of it to make the gospel, so-called, more popular with the world... What I have done has been dishonest, I have walked in craftiness, and I have handled the Word of God deceitfully. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. There are topics right now that if preachers simply say what the Word of God proclaims very clearly about those topics, they will be very unpopular public figures. And heaven forbid they ever hold a political office. Could you imagine if I were ever a could you imagine if I were ever a political candidate for anything larger than local, where most people, a lot of people agree with, with what I'm saying from the Word of God? Could, could you imagine CNN getting a hold of some of my sermons on some subjects that I've talked about and running those back to back? You know, I mean, hey, the Word of God's getting proclaimed. I guess I could rejoice in that, but there'd be no chance at being elected. You believe marriage is between one man and one woman? I do, because that's what the Word of God says. Not two men, not one man and three women, but one man and one woman, till death do you part. And that's just it, because God made them, in the beginning, male and female. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, how dare you? I, I know, how dare me? Believe the book. I Wouldn't you be more mad at a preacher for not believing the Bible he claims to preach? I mean, how dare he preach the Word? But that's what society expects of us because they don't like what the Word teaches. And we must not be dishonest or walk in craftiness handling the Word of God deceitfully, but rather what we do is we manifest the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Some thoughts on commending ourselves to every man's conscience. The conscience is the inner feeling of right or wrong. The inner feeling of right or wrong. That's a modern definition. An older definition is the soul judging between good and evil. Why the conscience? That was a thought I had in meditation this week. Why the conscience? Why not the heart? Why not the mind? 
Romans 2.15. This is talking about Gentiles who didn't have the written word in the Old Testament, but they obeyed the commandments of the word, being ignorant of it, and they did so because they show the work of the law written in their heart, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. That's a difficult sentence. They obeyed the law of God, some Gentiles, the moral law of God, because the law of God was written on their heart. And this is the case because of verse 28. He is not a Jew outwardly, neither is he a Jew of that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. That's a born-again person. If you are born again, you are a spiritual Jew. As such, the law has been written on your heart. The law being written on your heart has an effect on your conscience, the internal guidance of good versus evil. An unregenerate conscience is guided by a stony heart. Are they going to know good from evil? No, in fact, they like the evil. Because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, their heart guides them to do that which is evil. And so God writes His law on the heart. The law is written on the heart, the taking away of the heart of stone, the giving of the heart of flesh. We've recently talked about that in great detail. God writes His laws upon the heart in the new birth, and that guides the conscience... And we manifest the word of God to the conscience. So the gospel will be received based upon how the conscience receives it. And the conscience reception of it depends upon what? Whether or not the laws of God are written on the heart. So the heart affects the conscience. The conscience is what we commend ourselves unto in the sight of God. Now, it doesn't matter what place you go to when you start reading about Paul's explanations of how preaching works, why it's received, why it's rejected. It's always the same. God has to change the heart through quickening the individual for the gospel to be received. God has to quicken for the gospel to be received. Now, we preach indiscriminately and the condition of the heart affects the reception. We preach indiscriminately And the condition of the heart affects the reception. Verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The word lost here translates from the word perish. And it is found in a verse that we love to quote, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I'm glad that like everybody said perish at the same time. And so if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them them that are lost. It is hid, hid to them that perish, those that are in a state of unregeneracy, in whom the God of this world, notice little g God, that is referring to the devil, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Them which believe not. The believe not actually translates from the word faith 
in the original language with the prefix ah in front of it. So an atheist believes in no God. A means no. Agnostic, the G-N-O-S-T-I-C, gnostic, means knowledge. The ah there means no. An agnostic doesn't know if there's a deity. If you put ah before a word, it means that word but no, you know. So literally, them that believe not is awe and then faith. So what's the word mean? No faith. What does God give you in the new birth? Faith. In fact, Jesus is the what? Author and finisher of your faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the fruit of the Spirit, of the operation of God, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Literally, Christ in your soul is faith. It is a grace of faith. No faith. Them that believe not has reference to those that are not born again. Now, that lest the light of the glorious gospel, that doesn't mean that Satan's perpetually blinding them or otherwise they could believe. That word lest is interestingly translated because usually in English, the word lest is a totally different word with a totally different definition in Greek. This is a word that often translates unto or for or that. And it's simply saying they don't believe because they are of Satan. Woo. Does that make the hair on your neck stand up? It's kind of creepy to think about. Well, listen to me. What happened in the beginning of time? Satan deceived Adam, deceived Eve, and Eve gave to Adam and he did eat. Satan killed mankind through lies and deception. It is because of Satan that depravity exists, and it is because of depravity that until we are born again, we do not receive the word of God. It is because of depravity, and depravity is because of Satan. At the same time, concerning the unregenerate, in John chapter 8, he tells unregenerate Jews, you are of your father, the what? The devil. He was a liar, a murderer from the beginning, and the father of lies. What does he tell these people about? Their own day-to-day actions, the lust of your father ye will do. Those who are not of God do the will of Satan. And so he has a continual influence in their lives, not only in their rejection of the glorious gospel of Christ, but he stirs them up in full opposition to stamp it out. The God of this world has blinded their mind. Now, Paul would say in verse 5, We preach not ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus. We preach not ourselves. To be very, very brief, pulpit time is not to be used as a pep rally. This is a place where we preach Christ. Christ. Now, if you preach Christ, you don't have to have a pep rally for yourself for people to be excited to be here. If you preach Christ and you preach the Word, people will want to be here because their heart burns for Christ. We simply want to preach the Word. And all of the other problems tend to fix themselves if we just preach the Word. No, we preach Christ. We preach not ourselves, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And ourselves, what are we? Your servants for Jesus' sake. Your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. If there are people who don't believe, 
Why, beloved, do you believe the gospel as it is manifested to you? For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This is such a rich biblical picture. In Genesis chapter 1, and God said what? Let there be light. What caused that light to come into being? God spoke it, and it was. God speaks, and it is. Let there be, and there is. And the light, according to John 1, shined through darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Darkness does not comprehend light. Darkness never comprehends light. Now, these are, these are word pictures, physical, conveying the spiritual. In 1 John, what do we read that God is? God is light. God is light. Paul here is using creation as a metaphor for what God has done for us in the new birth. The light, God, has entered our heart and shone out. Light has sprung through into our hearts, through the darkness of our hearts. God has quickened us, giving us light. He took up residence in us, enabling our knowledge of Him. He took up residence within us, enabling our knowledge. Lastly, and in closing, we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. What does that mean? God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. The, the word Adam means red dirt, arguably. You are made out of red dirt. And, and after you die, you made you from dirt, you go back unto dirt. I don't like modern ways of disposing of bodies. I don't want to be placed in a concrete vault, mummified, dressed to the nine, to look like a walking dead zombie that's been dehydrated for the next 500 years. I would kind of like to be put in the dirt so I can turn back to what? Dirt. We have this treasure of God in us. What enables you to believe? The light shined through darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. God came into your heart. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That has reference to a clay pot. Your body is a clay pot with a light in it. Let me end on an exhortation. So how do you let your light shine before men? Well, you got to break the clay pot. you got to break the clay pot and let the light shine out. you got to mortify the lust of your flesh. you got to walk after that inner man. This brings back a word picture from Gideon's day. He and his little band of 300 surround all of these enemies of Israel. They've got torches and clay pots. All of a sudden they break the clay pots. Light shines and they think that they're surrounded. They end up falling by the edge of the sword because of that ingenious strategy. As you read in the end of that verse, this is also the excellency of the power may be of God and not by us. This is all of God's saving, sovereign grace. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for this treasure in earthen vessels. Thank you, Lord, that you've shined your light in us because otherwise we would be just as those that are lost, just as those that perish. But we are not, Lord, not because of us, not because of our decisions. We are not because of you. We are not still those that perish because of you. We are not those that are lost because of your grace and your mercy. Help us, Father, as proclaimers of this New Testament gospel to go and to minister, sharing this word with others, commending ourselves under the consciences of every man, every woman, every child. Help that take a place in their heart and affect their lives. Reveal yourself to your people. Help us to minister and to gather in your flock. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day of worship. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name and we say together, amen. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.